Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us today. I'm Joanne White, Power Your Life radio show. And to everyone, wherever you are in the world, we wish you... uh, Have a beautiful day in spite of the weather, because I'm hearing about some weather challenges in certain parts of the United States and elsewhere. So keep strong. And and something that's interesting that I want to talk about, and we'll share that with our guest today, is, okay, many of us are adults, or at least we think we're adults, and yet we carry over into our adulthood many themes and many challenges that happened in childhood. So I have somebody that's going to help us address this in many ways, and we're talking about Ira Israel, who is the author of How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You're an Adult. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a professional clinical counselor, Ira graduated from the University of Pennsylvania and has advanced degrees in psychology, philosophy, and religious studies. His DVD series, including A Beginner's Guide to Happiness and Mindfulness for Depression, along with his sold-out Echelon workshops, have given Ira a wide international following. His book can help raise your level of awareness about the subconscious beliefs or assumptions that you've been carrying around so that you can gain more insight into your way of being into the world. Ira also studied Buddhism at Spirit Rock with Jack Cornfield, Rick Hansen, James Barrick, David Rishu, and to name just a few. And he's taken classes with Marion Williamson, Reverend Michael Beckwith, and Deepak Chopra. Welcome, Ira Israel. How are you? Good morning, Dr. White. It's a pleasure to be here with you. My pleasure, Ira. I love the title as we were talking earlier. I think it's a great title. So let's talk about that a little bit because this book, How to Survive Your Childhood, I'm holding it now, everybody, now that you're an adult, A Path to Authenticity and Awakening. So tell us about the title and and, and the 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 reason for writing the book? Well, about 10 years ago, I started to notice these epidemics of depression and anxiety in our culture. And um, I started to question just the, the, what we consider to be, um, you know, the, the, the reasons for these diagnoses. And instead of looking at, you know, rogue genes that afflict the 22 million Americans every year that take antidepressants, I started to take a look at the frame. Like, let's take a look at well, all the things that we consider to be normal, uh, capitalism, democracy, romantic love, our educational system, the way we raise children. And, like, let's see if we can make some tweaks or hacks to um, have the ramifications of those systems 
be uh, less traumatic. So that's why, um, you know, the title came about in some funny way because as, as you read in the, at the last chapter, I think that we have to be able to surf the, the paradoxes of life. And that's really hard because the prefrontal cortex, it breaks things down into binary, good, bad, black, white, tall, short. And the world is amorphous out there. But the, our mind is always wanting to, to, to put things into order, to put things into linear time, past, present, future. And so I was always concerned with how things that occurred in our childhoods um, came about, you know, 30, 40 years later as like negative self-talk or like alienation or avoidant behavior. And we're hindering people from getting the love that they actually want and deserve as adults. So, um, yeah, that's why uh, I came up with this title. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, that it makes people laugh. <laughs> well, but it's more than just laughing. It, there's a, there's a, it, you know, there's something profound, many things profound behind yeah. the title. So well, it, can, it, we, uh, uh, can we survive our childhood? In adulthood? 100%. 100%. <laughs> and that's, that, that's the chapter, How to Own Your Life. And it's really interesting because, you know, the mind has a negativity bias, and it always does these things, these uh, hypothetical machinations like, oh, I'd be happier if I had married this person or hadn't married this person or went to Yale or went to Harvard or got this job or didn't get this job. But none of those things happened. You didn't win the lottery. Your parents were who they were. And, you know, until you accept every moment, until you own your entire life, then what your mind does is create these resentments, wanting things that it can't change to be different, which to me is like if you came home tonight and saw one of your children sitting on the couch trying to shove a square peg into a round hole, you would say, hey, hey. Stop it. That's insane. And yet that's what your mind does all day long. So if, if we are children or we, we've been children of tra emotional trauma, abuse, how do we, and we've learned that, and we've, we, you know, in some ways that has dictated the way we grow up, how do we change that? How do we get rid of the resentment and how do we shift it so that we feel that we are whole wonderful beings despite of despite anything that that came before? So I'm so happy that you mentioned my interest in, in Buddhism in the introduction because there's a line um that goes something like this the Buddha said we must break this chain of unskillful solutions. So, you know, our parents unless they were uh, sociopaths, always had the highest intentions. But, but their tools, uh, you know, were contingent upon our society. And, you know, they always wanted the best for us. And they did the best they could with the tools that they had. So until you realize that and just say, you know, it, it is what it is. I can't go back and change my, my life, my childhood, my, my relationship. I, so it's better that I accept them then, then, then say, oh, you know, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be happy now if this other thing had happened or if this other thing, you know, as I said, until you accept every moment of your life, 
So your mind is just sitting there creating resentment. And as I explained in the book philosophically, those resentments are what's manifesting as you're suffering today. So what are one of what are what is one of the ways? It's a question of acceptance. I just I'm, I was thinking of of people that I've worked with years ago who were sexually abused, and oftentimes mm-hmm. that reality is is embedded in their subconscious, yep. and yet they're experiencing or behaving towards themselves in in just a very un unfeeling a very you know they're they're downgrading who they are and they may not even recognize or realize it's because a lot of that stuff is pushed down into their subconscious how does somebody like that come to to reckon when when they're not even aware and at least initially come to be able to get to that level of acceptance i'm so happy you raised this question because my um one of my main interests right now is the Me Too movement and the, the end of, of rape culture. So we live in a predominantly white, Judeo-Christian, uh, patriarchal society in which uh, the, the, the white men, you know, the, the, all the senators and all the, the people in Hollywood and all the people on Wall Street, uh, you know, there's a, there's a reason why change is so slow. And that's the, one of the main theses of, of my book is that power corrupts. So, you know, you and I, we say, uh, oh, yeah, I, you know, I'd love to help all these people and do all these things. But, when, but what happens, unfortunately, when human beings get a taste of, of power, if suddenly someone just wired, you know, $500 million into your bank account, of course, you know, you and I as being good-natured people would try to uh, use that money to help others and to inspire others and to um, empower others. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that, that w- once people get a taste of power, that it corrupts them. So I don't think any, um, you know, uh, well, as I said, um, we're living in this amazing time where we're seeing the power dynamic shift. And I've written extensively about this because I actually think we need laws to make the workplace safe for all people, particularly women who are exploited and taken advantage of and made to, you know, wear sexy shirts, skirts and things like that if they're, if they're waitresses. And, you know, we really have to have a, a, a rebalancing of our entire society in order to, um, to treat everyone as equal, uh, loving human beings compassionately and make sure that they're not taken advantage of because of flaws in the system. You know, it's not just women, and, and I applaud what you're doing and, and the Me Too movement. It's also people who are different, um, people who are gay, people who, you yeah. know, it, it, there are just so many challenges that many people face mm-hmm. in the workplace. I think it's important. But this what is exactly I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is exactly why I think there's an entire chapter dedicated to capitalism, which was based on Herbert Spencer's notion, survival of the fittest, and we had like a zero sum game where there were finite resources and people had to, you know, claw each other over each other to survive three, four, five hundred years ago. But society has shifted. We're living in an incredibly abundant society. Our lifespans are longer than ever. We have the most privileges and luxuries and freedoms of any society, and yet we have this massive unhappiness, depression, alienation, 
drug-taking, anesthetizing, rehab culture and that, that's really incredibly dysfunctional. So, you know, we have to be the change. We're, we, you and I are team transition. We're helping raise consciousness so people can say, hey, I want the world to be a better place. Like all this exploitation of resources, all this hoarding, all this dysfunctionality, all this, this, this raping and this violation and these wars are completely unnecessary. And in fact, they, they don't make people happy. You know, we really need to raise consciousness around the things that do make people happy, which are very clear. The only thing that correlates strongly with happiness are the quality, is the quality of your intimate relationships. So we need to teach people how to hug each other, how to hold hands, how to throw a Frisbee, how to sit and enjoy a coffee, and, and, and not just, like, look at their, their Bitcoin stock <laughs> things on their, on their homepage and calculate their, you know, their, their, their putative net worth by these ones and zeros floating around the screen in the palm of their hand. You know, I, I totally agree with you, Ira. And it's also, I'm noticing that people are angry. I mean, there's a lot of anger on yeah. the road, even in, in stores. It's, and, and it seems like an epidemic. Yes, we're unhappy, but, 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 but more than that, we can be ruthless in our interactions with other uh-huh. people this, this, who are not well, again, necessarily is, part of our intimate circle. Go ahead, sorry. These are, no, 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 I'm sorry. These are, this is the chain of unskillful solutions. So, yes, and this, again, going back to the Me Too movement, it's really fascinating to me, the lawsuits that are coming up and all of these things that have occurred, like we're in it. So one of my favorite quotes, as you know, from the book is, I don't know who discovered water, but I doubt it was a fish. So right now, you and I are those fish in the middle of the Me Too movement. But, but nobody, except for Anita Hill and a couple of other people, are looking for solutions. So right now, we're fomenting this, this, this revenge, this anger. We want to see Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein in jail. And rightfully so. They're, I think they're, they're reprehensible human beings. But like, at the end of the day, like, how do we transmute our society so that we have compassion for transgender people, for, 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 for handicapped people, for, for all people who have challenges, who aren't as fortunate or who have, don't have the, the opportunities that people like you and I have, have um, been privileged to have throughout our lives. So how do we do it? And how do we do that by, by shifting and, and surviving our childhood? <laughs> okay. So the first thing to do, and, you know, um, I learned all this from, from Fred Luskin at this compassion workshop up in Berkeley. But really, um, as, I, as I stated in several videos, there's no plan B. We have to forgive unequivocally because your unwillingness to forgive means that you're not done suffering, that you want to enroll people in this whole um, victimhood and, and this, you want to suck empathy out of other people by not forgiving. So, you know, that, that cleaning up our paths so that we can show up authentically for today is one of the main components of the book, as you know. You know, learning how to be right. present and, and not allow our minds to consistently drag us into the past. Because my understanding is that, every, every, listen, 
you know, if you go to Nepal and other quote unquote uncivilized countries, you'll see women carrying around their, their babies, you know, they're in satchels in their arms. They sleep with them. They're on their mother's breast for, for four to five years. And in our culture, we have this thing called science and science says, the optimum time to breastfeed is 18 months. And then this happens and this is toilet training and all those things for a little baby are highly traumatic. And so we have to understand that even before babies learn language, they have an understanding of the world, whether it's a secure place or a a place that they need to be suspicious and fear. and, And they, you know, they have to cry to get their needs met rather than, you know, just like feeling into things and feeling like, hey, these people are here, they have my back, I'm totally loved, the world is just groovy and amazing, and all I have to do is be cute, and I can eat and, and be taken care of. And then we, we end up going to school, and we end up in this highly, highly, highly competitive system where we're trying to make friends and gain love, and yet, you know, we're, we're being judged at every second. Oh, you got a B plus. Oh, maybe you'll do better next time. But Johnny got an A, like he's going to Harvard. And we get into this system that was built 200 years ago to make factory workers, and it doesn't work anymore. Our school system needs to be completely uh, revamped, and we need to understand that this one-size-fits-all uh, idea that worked 250 years ago no longer works. There's certain kids that don't need to study biology or chemistry and putting them on ADHD medication so that they get B's in those classes is a waste of everyone's time and, and, and money. You know, it's interesting because my brain works differently. And when I was in graduate school, I had to, and I had to do research to get my PhD. I had to actually go to the solution and work backwards after the professor mm-hmm. would so that I so until I got it but I had to do it in reverse and otherwise it was just too overwhelming. I wanted to go back to something cuz forgiveness is pivotal and it's a, and it's a very mm-hmm. pivotal piece in your book too. And yet I remember doing a workshop whereby we were talking about forgiveness and and how important it is just for ourselves not necessarily for the other person. And one woman stood up and said, was really angry, and she said, I was sexually abused, and I will never, ever forgive this person. She had so much venom inside of her, and, you know, it was very hard to shift her. I don't think that the workshop did that for her. How How do you help somebody who has that, who's been through challenges, we all have, maybe not to the extent of that particular woman, but how do you help somebody like that be, get to a place where they get to a, a level of acceptance and forgiveness so, like you say, they can move on and, and, and move forward? Right. So I always turn to philosophy and existentialism for this. And in this case, I'll, I'll also quote um, – his Holiness, the Dalai Lama, I was sitting with him in uh, Seattle and somebody asked him, uh, who's your greatest teacher? And everybody in the audience expects him to say the Buddha because he's, uh, you know, um, the head of Mahayana Buddhism, you know, to us in the West. And he turns to the audience and he goes, the Chinese is his greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. So the Chinese hack hack to death uh, over a million of his people in 1959. And so that's his greatest teacher. So we have the ability to reframe anything in our mind. 
And irrespective of the trauma, and this is why philosophy is so important to learn, because we, and this is also what I was talking about a minute ago in terms of being, um, learning things when we're pre-verbal, we have paradigms. We have a, a way of understanding how the universe is operating, and that's always individual is there a God? Is there not a God? Um, uh, if that God exists, is, it, is he or she benevolent or malevolent? Why do things happen? And unfortunately, none of these things are taught in our school system because, you know, we're so heterogeneous that we can't come to any sort of agreement. And, and you know, it's, people think that Buddhism is a religion when it's not. It's just a prescription to alleviate suffering. So, like, we need to have a, uh, a greater understanding of our place in the universe. And this is why I talk about uh, the word Dharma in, in Sanskrit, which is basically a Hindu and then a Buddhist term. And we need to understand how the, opera, how the universe is operating, why things happen. And essentially, I'll just give you a hint. The human brain cannot understand the universe. You know, it's a, our cognitive system is so incredibly arrogant. The best we can do is create a narrative of why the things in our lives occurred in terms of who we're supposed to be on planet Earth and our relation to the Dharma or our relation. I hope this is not too esoteric for your listeners, but, but, but really, you know, the thing that, I mean, I was almost, I, I, I was in a very bad car accident when I was 18 years old and it set me on this journey trying to find the, the meaning of life. And I had to first look at like my understanding of the world and little things like language and, and, and then our whole society and, and eating and sleeping and, you know, build my life from the ground up after that. And it didn't take a, a day. It took 30 years. And um, I think that we need to teach some of these skills. And again, it's just, it's basic philosophy. People have been asking these questions for thousands of years, but we all have a particular paradigm or perspective, a way of framing things and seeing the world. So if you're looking back and saying, you know, I, I am a mess psychologically and I need to be on these pills because of some event that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago, I think that there's a more empowering solution than, than, than that. And that's what I hope to inspire uh, through my book. You know, I think that's, that's so very important. And, and I also think we, we are very arrogant human beings. I was remarking to somebody else about that the other day. Because we think we're superior to the trees, the birds, the mm-hmm. animals, mm-hmm. other species. And who are we? I mean, really, who are we? Yep. So, I, so I like that idea. How do people get to a place of being able to Im- accept who they are and be authentic at the same time? Is it possible? So I, I actually think that accepting who you are is a part of authenticity because the past no longer exists. It's dead and gone. And the future doesn't yet exist. All we have are our expectations. So in order to be authentic, we have to have the ability to um, – I'll, I'll rephrase that. We have to have tools that get us into the present no- moment, as Ram Dass famously said, to be here now. So for me, those tools are yoga and meditation. And, you know, you commented before the show uh, on, on the word awakening. 
So I don't believe that there's a permanent state of enlightenment. And I don't think I use that book at that word at all in the book enlightenment, but there is a way of being awakened so that you understand the way your mind is operating and your fears, prejudices, expectations, and then you can make intelligent decisions, whether to lean in and say, okay, I'm going to test my comfort zone. I'm going to learn German. I'm going to go skiing. I'm going to, you know, try this new thing. Or you say, hey, you know, that's a little too risky. But, like, we, we really have an understanding or a paradigm uh, of how the universe is operating, whether it's a scary place and we have to hoard and, and it's, you know, if you turn your back, someone will just hurt you. Or you can, the world is a secure place and it's full of abundance and grace and love. So, um, you know, those are the type of things I want to, people to, to have an understanding of or at least construct a narrative about why they are, um, who they are, and all the things that brought them to this point. And again, as Rick Hansen says, you can't pull all the weeds in the garden, but you can plant flowers. So you have a choice whether you can own your whole life or you're going to let your mind do what it's supposed to do, which is try to stave off potential future trauma by, by clinging on to those terrible events and projecting them from 20 years ago into your future. Well, if I walk across the street, I'll get hit, like a car, hit by a car just like I did 20 years ago and have to spend two years in the hospital, so I'm not going to walk across the street. That's what your mind, that's what, those are the extremes that, 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 that your mind goes to. Because that's what it's built to do. Your, your mind's primary job is to try to stave off potential future trauma. And what I'm saying is that all of the defense mechanisms that we created when we were 7, 10, 13 years old are fantastic, and they helped us survive our childhood then, but they're probably hindering us from getting the authentic love that we want now because in order to get the love that you really want, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be authentic. So what's the relationship between authenticity and, and feeling good, being happy, and, and being contented with who we are at the same time? So Martin Seligman from the University of Pennsylvania founded Positive Psychology, and one of the things he states is that we all have a range of happiness, and there are tools that keep us at the high end of that range, and there are unskillful solutions that will keep us at the low end of that range. So for me – there comes a point in every person's life when they have to pull themselves up by their own bootstrap and stop blaming things that happened in the past and say, okay, yoga, meditation, loving relationships, eating two meals a day, not drinking coffee after lunch, not having more than one glass of wine. These things keep me at the high end of my happiness range and showing up authentically, showing up compassionately, showing up the way you want other people to show up for you. Right. That those are the things that keep people happy. And then, you know, if you if you if you want to be at the low end of your happiness range, it's very simple. Drink a bottle of gin for breakfast, mouth off the police officers, jump out of airplanes uh, without checking the parachute. It's very simple. So these are all just finding skillful solutions. And it's incumbent upon everybody personally to find what nourishes their own soul and their own greatness and their own uh, ability to thrive in our culture. You know, it's, it, I, I, I totally agree with you, Ira. You talk about in the book being a professional child. What does that mean? Mm. <laughs> 
So for me, language creates reality. So that's one of the basic theses of the book. And there's an actual quote by Jacques Lacan who says, language thinks me. So again, your mind tricks you into thinking, oh, I'm so smart. But really, you know, according to all the statistics, you have like 50,000 thoughts every day, and most of them are negative. So you have to be aware of those things and try to enlarge the margins of breadth of, 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 or the scope of things that you know about how your way of being in the world was constructed. And then once you understand why you are the way that you are, you can make tweaks in order to lean into things. So if you understand that you have a certain number of thoughts every day and that language creates the world, then not being a child means being your word, meaning you want people not to lie to you. So don't lie to other people. If you say you're going to be there at 12 o'clock, then, you know, like in Los Angeles, it's incredible. Everybody shows up late for, I'm not so sorry. I couldn't generalize, but many people have show up late and they always blame it on traffic. The first word they say when they come to a meeting, if they don't cancel it, is, oh, my God, traffic was so terrible. And I have some friends who have been here for 30, 40, 50 years, and I'm just sitting there thinking, you, you've been here for 40 years, and you can't figure traffic into the equation. I mean, you do have this Waze app or Google Maps. You can just hit it and see how long it's going to take you. And then in my mind, I think, you know, if you were meeting with Brad Pitt or Oprah Winfrey or George Clooney, I bet you could figure out how to be there on time. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it, it's a really interesting thing what we do in our culture and the excuses that we make when we all have the ability to show up and be our word. So one of the things I'm trying to inspire about being authentic is creating the world that you want to live in. And one of those things is understanding, you know, adults have to do this. If you want people not to lie to you, if you want people to have your back, if you want people to show up for you, then you have to do that. You can't just be a taker. You have to be a giver. So for me, um, the distinction between being a professional child and being an adult is being your word, you know, being able to look someone in the eye and say, my word is my bond. I'm going to be monogamous. I'm going to be uh, a great uh, father. I'm going to be whatever I'm going to be. And then having the personal integrity. And this is one of the later chapters that you read on congruence, deciding who you want to be and then having the personal integrity to be that person. You know, and, and I think that's so important because we want people, like you said, we want people to treat us a certain way, and, and oftentimes we get upset or resentful or angry or whatever those words are, you know, or emotions are if, if they're not treating us that way. And yet what you're saying and what I totally agree with is that we need to put out to other people what what we want, what we want within, you know, what we, what we want, how we want them to respond, to react to to us. And it doesn't, it's, that's not rocket science. It's it's really, you know, it's, it's important to also, I think, we, people have to be aware. They have to be aware of who they are, even their their emotions, their what they're thinking, what and what they're putting out in the world. And what I see a lot of is is people are walking around without that level 
of personal right. awareness of, of their actions, of what they just said to somebody and how it, it really made that person upset or whatever. How do we get to that place of authenticity if we're not paying attention to ourselves and to what we're doing, our actions, our words, our beliefs, whatever? So I break um, authenticity down, as you know, into five things, attachment, atonement, attunement, presence, and congruence. I've already kind of um, mentioned some of them, but attachment theory, it's just being aware of your primary attachment dynamic. And I I love this quote by Harville Hendricks, which I believe is in the book. He said that the subconscious purpose of marriage in America is to enable us to complete our childhoods. Our parents had deficits. Those deficits wounded us. Those wounds became defense mechanisms, and those defense mechanisms became our personalities. And we'll always be attracted to people who can replicate the dynamics from one or more of our primary caregivers. So a lot of the time when people come into my office and they're fighting over who left the toothpaste cap off the toothpaste or who forgot to put the toilet seat up and down or gas in the car, I say, hey, you know, like, what, what is this really about? And then, you know, you can trace it back to the fight is not about the toothpaste cap. You know, this, this fight is about someone feeling unlovable from when they were two or four or six years old, you know? So for me, knowing your attachment dynamic and, and is very important to learning how to be authentic. The second part is atonement, as we already discussed. And I, I say that, um, you know, forgiveness is the main tool, but it's being able to release your resentment about things you can't change. So forgiveness doesn't mean that you condone um, just the rapist behavior or whoever's behavior. It does not mean that at all. And that's what you should have told the person in, in your, in the, your Actually, workshop. Actually, you know, yeah. we, I did. And that did not deter this person. She had so much venom in her. We talked about, you know, know, we had a whole thing about, like, what you're saying, that, that forgiveness isn't it's about the a, other it's person. It's really for it's you. An un, yeah. It's an unskillful solution. That, that if, you're, if you're in it, and listen, we all have to go through, we're terrible with emotions in our culture. So if you're in the anger, then be in it. And if you're in the grief, then be in it. But at some point in time, hopefully there's a therapist or a loved one or someone in your community who, when you're done with that anger and you're ready to move on, can, can help guide you and show you that like, there's a way to release all of that negativity, and that is by forgiveness. You're not doing it for the other person. You're doing it for yourself, and that's why atonement is such a crucial part of, of authenticity and this book. And then the, the third part is attunement, and that's just being able to connect with others, which you and I discussed beforehand. And the quotes in the book that I really uh, think inspire people are, mirror neurons do not fire via text message. And, um, and I also say one hug equals one million Facebook likes. So we live in this incredible culture where I unfortunately think that many people are deluded into thinking that they're connecting with other people through these social media. And what we really need is eye-to-eye, in-the-same-room contact and hugs and holding hands. You know, we're, we're interdependent human creatures. I, I went to this incredible lecture a month ago. And um, I'm, I'm actually going to use this in, in, in my seminars in the future. The, the guy said, uh, how many of you can outswim a shark? And nobody raises their hand. Okay, how many of you can uh, outfly an eagle? Nobody raises their hand. How many of you can, um, you know, outrun a bear? Nobody raises their hand. And he says, well, how do, we defend, how do human beings defend themselves against all these threats? 
And the way we do it is through communication. So, again, attuning to other people and the way they speak and their eye movement. I mean, you and I are trained clinicians, so we're trained to be able to sit in a room and make people feel heard and make people feel that they're not crazy and make people feel that whatever emotional experience they're going through is valid. So instead of, as you know, like you and I don't say yes, but, because that invalidates another person's emotional experience. We say yes and this. And so right. being able to attune to other people is very important. And then presence, as I already mentioned, not letting your mind drag you into the past or future. And for me, the tools are, are yoga and meditation. And then the last thing is congruence. And I love the quote by Andre Gide who said, it is better to be hated for what you are than to be loved for what you are not. Wow, I love that, so, too. That's pow- really super powerful. powerful. Yeah. And for me, you know, we, we created these false selves, these facades, these personas in order to, to survive our childhood. And we should be thankful. If you were the, the sexy or smart or the whatever, whatever was your way of succeeding when you were in an adolescent, you know, you can't be upset about it. I mean, I had a mullet when I was 17 years old. I, I you know, whatever, 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 it's not, it just is what it is. And now you have to just say, okay, those things helped me survive my childhood. I should be happy about them. But those same tools are probably hindering me from getting the, the love that I really want now as an adult. So I have to, I have to shed them. I have to, you know, for me, sarcasm is the defense mechanism that all teenagers learn and they all, you know, help, it helps them fit in and they, it's a way of, it's a, it's a, all, it's a language. And, you know, if, as a 51-year-old man, if I speak the same way I did when I was 16 years old, I would be punched in the face every day. So, mm. you know, but, but it's really interesting because I, w- I was like the cool guy in high school because I was like the sarcastic jerk. So, you know, <laughs> if, 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 it's, it's fascinating to me. But if I said some of those things today to people that I said when I was 16, I, I, I would, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I'd be in jail right now. You know, <laughs> you talk about being authentic and, and that what, is really necessary is that we need to communicate with one another in terms of of really establishing wonderful relationships rather than just spending all our time on Facebook or social media. And to this, you t- you in your book you talk about reflective listening, and and that mm-hmm. that struck me because many people think they're listening, but they may right. not be. So can you tell our listeners what that means and why it's so important, Ira? Sure. So it's so fascinating that we have two ears and one mouth, um, but we really are not great. There's no classes in high school how to listen, and in particular, there's no classes in how to make somebody feel heard. So this is the key if you want a relationship. If you want your marriage to survive, you have to cut out space to make your spouse feel heard, and that's way different from listening because we all are addicted to multitasking and so we're sitting there we're watching tv we're drinking a latte and uh, our our wife comes in and she starts talking and you know the guy's like yeah 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 sure no problem yeah 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 i'll I'll mow the lawn yeah 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 yeah." and it's it's horrifyingly (laughs) invalidating and it really decimates most relationships so what i have couples do 
is cutout time. And I, I like to run it kind of like a mini AA meeting, meaning there's no crosstalk. You just um, cut out five minutes for each person, and the person can just talk about the good things of that week and then some of the challenges of that week. And then the other person does reflective listening, which is, as you know, um, they try to mirror the other person's facial affect, the way their, their cheeks are, the way their forehead is, the way their eyes are. And they look the other person in the eye and they say, so if I hear you correctly, you had a really mm-hmm. challenging week. Did I get that right? And then the person says, no, 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 I really don't think you understand, man. That was, this week was, was worse than whatever. And so, okay, so if I hear you correctly, what you're telling me is that this week was a lot worse than, than other weeks. Did, did I get that right? And you just sit there until you feel that the other person is, has some glimpse of your reality. So one of the quotes in the book is, uh, uh, the map is not the territory. So, and I think I quote Wittgenstein or another philosopher when I said, when I say the color red and you hear the word red, how do we know that we're imagining the same you or color? We don't. You know, my reality, my perspective, my paradigm is completely different from yours. And we really have to have more refined tools to be able to attune, to connect and connect with other people. So I love Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication. I love Harville Hendricks' reflective listening, the, the way he does it. And I really feel that sitting down and being able to validate another person's emotional experience and having tools to do that. It's not about, you know, there's a beautiful quote um, <laughs> uh, also from Harville Hendricks who inspired me to learn this tool because he said very nonchalantly, he said, well, you only have one choice in this lifetime. You can either be right or you can be in relationship. <laughs> so, so as I say in the book, you know, nobody wanted to say he was right on his tombstone. But, you know, if you were raised and went to an Ivy League university and have a couple of graduate degrees, you're taught to want to be right in conversations. And, and, and you know, you're going to end up <laughs> sad and alone, but you'll be right. So, you know, you have to reframe the, your priorities in life and say, hey, I'm really trying to connect with other human beings. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I don't want to be the richest guy in the room. I don't want to be the most powerful guy in the room. I want to be loved, right? So I have to have new tools that allow people to, to connect with me in a new way. You know, I think that, that that's the basis that we all at some level want to be loved, and, and that's really important. And just as an aside, I had to communication. I had someone that I was counseling years ago who said that he, when his wife was going on and on, rather than listening, as we were talking, he would put he would put in his hearing aid and turn it down. He would have his hearing aid turned down really, really low so he couldn't hear her. And that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. well, what's not- fascinating to me is, I, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but what's fascinating to me is I see a lot of parents walking on my street pushing their kids in strollers, but, but on their devices. And you, you know, know what? That's their- right. I see that too, and it's disturbing. And I saw that yesterday, mm-hmm. and I saw a kid. She's she's pushing the. This woman is pushing her the carriage. The baby's in 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 the carriage. She's on her cell phone doing whatever she's doing, and the baby is is eating something or whatever. And I was concerned, mm-hmm. and I was thinking. 
she chokes? What if your baby chokes? How are you even going to know? You're so you're not you're so removed from yep. that interaction and and the experience that your child is having. So I'm in total agreement. Ira, we are running out of time, and I could have you on for another hour because I love our conversation in this book. What do you want people to get from the book and tell us how how everybody can buy the book and connect with you, Ira Israel? Well, um, I hope that people are just inspired to want to learn more about themselves and the way they think and, and then, you know, make some tweaks or hacks, try some new tools in order to get the loving relationship that they want. Because for me, the one thing that, that correlates with happiness, and we're, we live in a, in a, a predominantly unhappy culture, even though we're the, one of the richest and most luxurious and privileged uh, groups of people who ever walk the face of the earth, we're, we're not as happy as, as I think we could be. So for me, the book is just out there to raise consciousness and start a new conversation about finding solutions so that we can get the loving relationships and maintain them the love we want. So people can connect with me through www.iraisrael.com. There are tons of free um, uh, videos, how to get the love you want. I have five DVDs. And then the book is available uh, through Amazon and, and, and Barnes and & Noble and all stores in America. And, um, yeah, I just love people connecting with me uh, like we're doing, you know, sending me little emails and things like that and having conversations. Wonderful, Ira. Thank you so much. I love your book, and I love what you're talking about, and I think that if people followed that, we would have a different experience and different relationships. Thanks so much for all you do. Thank you, Dr. White. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Take care. So remember what what Ira Israel said and this book. This is a great book, How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You're an Adult, A Path to Authenticity and Awakening. If you think you're awake, read the book. If you think you're being authentic, read the book. If you think you're not, read the book because it has some insights in there and some surprises for you so that you can be the best you that you can be. If you want to get a hold of me, go to docdocwhit.org. You can find some articles, upcoming shows, and remember that you have the ability and the power within you, and I don't mean power over other people or or, I'm better than you or anything like that. It's more about being able to utilize your own inner strength, your inner resilience and resources to to make a difference in your life and in the lives of others. Thanks so much for joining us, and have a blessed day wherever and evening, wherever you are. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.